I've noticed a number of peculiar incidents among the members of the student body, all having to do with rock and roll music. Now, if you don't think this song is the greatest song ever, I will fight you. Sharply observed, deeply personal, and genre-defying. Those are just some of the terms I'd use to describe rapper and poet Dessa. I'm Greg Cott of the Chicago Tribune. And I'm Jim Deergottis from WBEZ and Columbia College. Hip-hop artist Dessa and her band join us in the studio, and we review the new album from electro-pop duo Sleigh Bells. That's all coming up on Sound Opinions. From WBEZ Chicago and distributed by PRX, you're listening to Sound Opinions. And now it's time for some music news. Stonehenge, where the demons dwell, where the banshees live and they do live well. Stonehenge, where a man is a man and the children dance to the pipes of Pan. Greg, that, of course, is the immortal Spinal Tap with their classic tune, Stonehenge. For centuries, people have been wondering what that circle of giant rocks in the English countryside, dating back to 2500 B.C., what does it mean? Was there rhyme or reason, or are they just big rocks in a field? A fascinating new theory is emerging from a U.S. scientist named Stephen Waller, who is claiming that the positions of the standing stones matches patterns in sound waves created by a pair of musical instruments. When two people played the same instrument, probably some sort of primitive flute, in the circle, the patterns of auditory waves changed, and basically you tripped out on them. I'll just read his quote. The effect would be magic and supernatural. Some rock musicians have said this in the past, not only Spinal Tap, but the great Julian Cope. And in 2009, a musical expert at Huddersfield University in the UK used a full-scale replica of Stonehenge and computer analyses to show that repetitive drum beats and chanting would have resonated in a very peculiar and special way between the stones. However, you have other archaeologists and scientists saying sound may have played some role, but this is probably not the sole reason that Stonehenge was arranged as Stonehenge still stands. I'd like to see if we could book a great band to play there live and see what it sounded like. That is President Barack Obama singing Sweet Home Chicago, a fitting song for a president from Chicago. He did this at a recent White House event, 
uh, with a pretty cool little band. B.B. King, Booker T. Jones, Mick Jagger. What was notable about it is not only the president singing in public, but that he had already done this a few weeks earlier when he took on Al Green at a fundraiser at the Apollo Theater. So in love So now twice within the span of a month, Barack Obama has sung publicly uh, and in not-so-bad style. Let's face it, the guy's got some chops as a vocalist. I think on sound opinion scale, I'd give him at least a burn it. Now, we've had other singing politicians, Mike Huckabee, Orrin Hatch, but never so high-profile of an office holder and never so high-profile of a moment. So we've got some nominations, Jim, you and I, of of songs that uh, maybe he should take on next. I'd love to hear him do some Annie Lennox and the Eurythmic, something like uh, Sweet Dreams Are Made of This. What about you? That's a good choice, but I think if he's really going to go into singing as a career after he's out of office, he's got to really prove his mettle. And, I mean, the way for any male vocals to do that, you got to cover Frank, right? Yeah, you got to do Frank Sinatra. I think he should do my way. You know, <laughs> once he's out of office and, and, and going to establish himself, he'll have done it my way, and let's see if he can pull that off. But let's throw it out to the listeners. Absolutely. Come on, give us some nominations for a song the president should sing. Give us a call at 888-859-1800. Yes, there were times I'm sure you knew When I bit off more than I could chew But through it all When there was doubt I ate it up and spit it You're listening to Sound Opinions. That old crow came back today, sitting in my window like a prophet, out on the fire escape to say anger is just love, left out and gone to vinegar. You wake up a stranger to yourself and then you learn to live with her, sit in the clothing till you fill out a figure. You're hearing a little bit of the song The Crow, performed by our guest this week, singer, songwriter, and rapper Dessa. Born Margaret Wander, Dessa was a writer studying philosophy at the University of Minnesota. She had no plans to become a hip-hop artist until a friend secretly recorded her reciting poetry in her bedroom. That tape proved to be her entree into Minneapolis's underground slam poetry scene. From there, she got involved with the thriving hip-hop collective Doomtree, and now she has three solo records to her credit. The latest, Caster the Twin, combines rap, vocal harmonies, and hip-hop production with a lush instrumental backing. Dessa and her band stopped by the studio recently to perform songs from the album, and we kicked off the conversation by asking how she made the transition from philosophy student to MC. It was like a series of... uh fortunate failures. I had known that I wanted to study philosophy, really dug it, and I think I would have stayed with it if I could find a way to be a practitioner. But to me, it seemed like most of the trajectories that were outlined by counselors and, you know, by other by other students in my classes seemed to point unilaterally to that academic route, where it's kind of that closed cycle of 
of learn to teach to learn to teach. And <laughs> these are hard times, but even within these hard times, the job listings for philosopher have been very, very skimpy. I know. You could, you could scan the want ads of every major market and come home with an inky finger and, and a pen unused. But it seemed to me that the, the cats who were practicing philosophy didn't go by that name. You know, nobody had the business mm-hmm. card. Mm-hmm. And it seemed like the creative fields were those that would attract a lay listenership or readership where you actually could pack some punch. Now, I know your parents had some musical talent. When did you finally see yourself as somebody who would get up on stage and and, and start performing? (laughs) Like right after soundcheck every night? Yeah. (laughs) I think my great strength, if I have one, is as a songwriter. So I think that the delivery skills were born out of a really strong desire to find a meaningful way to, to share my writing. So the first time I performed was at a slam. But I remember I was wearing satin pants because I thought that they were the best. (laughs) <laughs> fitting pants that I had. And you, you, I can hear you laugh like you know how the story ends. But in the stage lights, it was like there were squirrels in my pockets. My knees were shaking so badly <laughs> and just broadcasting that in these very shiny pants. That was probably eight years ago, nine years ago now. I think I get a little nervous every night still. Mm-hmm. Poetry slam. So it started with poetry. Yeah, exactly. Was hoping to be an essayist. Didn't know how to be an essayist. So a friend dragged me to a slam after a really bad breakup just to cheer me up. And she said, man, you should do this. <laughs> See, my whole family has this thing where love isn't something we fall in. It's something we fall through. So you may love the way I move, but you will hate the place I'm headed to. You can love the way I think, but you will hate the way I feel. And so listen to your friends when they tell you, here comes that curly-headed sickness. Last witness, she left living, said it wasn't worth it. Said if he could, he would reverse it. He said she was a world of hurt. He said she was a problem in a skirt. You should never skirt a problem. I'm a burning candle. The sticker and leave me unattended because the only time that I have ever touched good love is when it extended one frail arm to stop my ass from flying through the windshield. What was the Minneapolis poetry slam scene like at the time? There were a few really bright, shining stars, but still a lot of access for a beginner. You know, so I went and and I was really impressed by a couple of performers. And then to be immodest, I thought, but I think I could hang with with some of these other guys. So, you know, maybe if I go and compete, I actually have a shot at at finding kind of a a place here. I went, unbeknownst to me, on a night where a lot of the really big names hadn't entered, and Mm -hmm. I won, so I thought I was really hot stuff. (laughs) And I I made the Minnesota Slam team, which meant that you compete in the Nationals, and immediately, like, got ground into the carpet, you know, with the real national caliber talent, which was a bit of a blow to the ego, but, of course, exciting to the potential performer to say, oh, this is what really good performance poetry can look like and it's a lot better than i thought it would be well before we go much further how about a song sure uh this song is called the chacon Bow praise, now the bow praise, 
the Academy, the honors and the accolades first adorning in a marvel. When we met, I was still a young girl. You had changed already famous. Your name was a contagion. You were vain and hard to take. All the same, I was brazen. How the tides The Chacon by Dessa on Sound Opinions. That was beautiful. Thanks. Thank you so much. Thanks. So we leave off in the poetry slam scene of Minneapolis, and then you link up with one of the thriving hip-hop collectives, Doomtree, Stefan Alexander. All right, tell us about how that, mm-hmm. how that comes about. So I had been performing in the slam circuit, and there's kind of an overlap. If you were to imagine you know, the Venn diagram of slam and hip-hop in Minneapolis, there's a considerable yeah. region of intersection. So you know, one of the MCs who's in that town named Yoni came and uh, said, hey, you know, I think you should try doing some of that performance mm-hmm. over, over hip-hop production. I was excited by that prospect, but also... You know, also a little bit. Ca- I didn't want to mess up, and I didn't. Mm. I didn't want to um, either make a fool of myself or kind of uninvited. You know, tread into into waters with which I was less than totally familiar. Yeah, because you weren't even completely comfortable yet doing the poetry. Yeah, thing. yeah, exactly. He had given me a stack of of CDs to kind of you know better acquaint me with some of the other hip hop happening in Minneapolis and kind of underground regionally. And one of the CDs was like this screen printed at home, um, Dead Bird. And uh, that one was called Doomtree. We push through borders, record a sort of catastrophe. Order for shot for the sons and daughter of anguish apathy. Who barely practice to smash it in the back with a backbeat. Never hold back, see if I can show that. And the whole track is stacked against me. Against exactly. Me. 
Alright, get a pie for the good drink and swirls, let me stick the flows now. And I'm on my toes now. Ever since this cool, gotta be heated. We lit that match and we burn the fire grows now. And I was trying to guess, like, regionally where they were from. So I was like, this sounds like Pacific Northwest. And he was like, dude, they're the dudes who live next door. <laughs> <laughs> so um, so I, I was really impressed by, by their stuff. Mm. You know, then it was still really burgeoning. I mean, by the time I, I joined, we were still making our CD covers at Kinko's and burning CDRs at our mom's houses. The one thing about Doomtree is that they seem to have a kind of a, a broader perspective on exactly what hip-hop is and what it can be, which probably was somewhat inviting. Absolutely. And I think that, you know, POS obviously was the flagship member then. And he obviously had some some at least instrumental voicings that were from other genres. You know, he'd been in hardcore punk Yeah, had hardcore drummer and a, and a noise guitarist. Yeah, yeah. So when they can't stop, won't stop, who keeps the tank tops? Who reaps the good sleep, keeps the receipts? I see him sucking up the last drops. Drop top, H2, stretch H3. Where the party at, Democrats? Sitting on a muggy summer bench, sipping muddy water, peeping news, read the read a quote from Sardis, line of hotter days on the way. Turn the AC Slater up. What's it like the first time you get to perform your music in front of, or in a room with other musicians? The most distinct memory I have was I had made a CD with a rap song. I had been a pansy, so I think I put it in the CD player and like pressed play and then just sort of like moonwalked away from the <laughs> CD player so that if they were like, who's this? I could be like, I don't know. This is horrible. I could run for the door. <laughs> yes. Yeah. But I remember it stopped conversation not to say, what a virtuosic talent. But, mm. you know, somebody went, what's this, man? And I said, oh, it's just a thing. And uh, somebody else said, this is good. And I said, oh, it's me then, <laughs> you know. <laughs> We'll have more music and conversation with Dessa after a short break. Later in the show, Jim and I review the new album from Brooklyn noise rockers, Sleigh Bells, and I drop a quarter into the Desert Island Jukebox. That's in a minute on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and PRX. Oh, that trouble you've been looking for, it came looking for you, shouldn't A run of lucky guesses say your nerves can stand it. You bet it all and then step back. But if you're steady handed, then that glass is shaking. Down. I think you're gonna find. a hole in the night and the freon burns a hole in the sky you can find my kind living right on the pole line eyes on the seaside lives on the b-side kites on the kites on the kites on the power lines kites on the kites on the power welcome back to sound opinions i'm greg cott with jim derigatis and we've been talking with minneapolis mc Dessa. That song, Kites, is from her latest album, Caster the Twin. Like a lot of Dessa's songs, it's full of characters. A woman in a crumbling relationship, a friend, a boyfriend. 
With Dessa, each song is a little story, so it shouldn't come as any surprise that she was a writer and poet long before she was an MC. I asked her whether she made any distinction between poetry and hip-hop lyrics. Watching your reflection in the case you you For me, they feel different. And I think sometimes when we really emphasize, hey, po- you know, rap is just poetry, that sometimes from some sources, it's as though we're trying to elevate rap by poetry's bootstraps. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, we can't appreciate rap as rap. So it's just like poetry, but with an 808. But words matter. That's the key here. I think hip-hop culture kind of gets slammed, at least on the mainstream level, for not really elevating the game the way it used to. Everybody tars hip-hop with the, the misogynist thing, the homophobic thing, which obviously only speaks to a percentage right. of it. But the materialistic thing. The materialistic thing. Coming into it, how did you feel about those kind of issues? Oh, man, the honest answer is probably really conflicted. I didn't want to come in as a new arrival and start putting out cigarettes on stuff. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It felt like not taking off your shoes when you enter a room. On the other hand, I didn't want to try to be cool so much that I wasn't willing to object to things that I think are really culturally damaging. So, So it's been kind of finding that balance. You're listening to Sound Opinions, and we are here in the studio with Dessa and her band, Abby Wolf on backing vocals, Sean McPherson on bass, Joey Van Phillips on drums, and Dustin Kyle on guitar and keyboards. How about another song? Yeah, absolutely. This one is called Alibi. you got left to lose like how much time are you really down to do because i don't don't need 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 to know but there's a set of my keys left under your door if you need a place to sleep tonight that's what family's for i don't don't need 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 to know but i put on my best fresh little black dress go get seen tonight work on that alibi i've seen the way that you count your blessings marks on the wall and I seen you coming out of Sunday confession with the 
numbered list and all. Now I don't bow my head for supper. I never do kneel beside my bed. But it looks like your afterlife is covered. I hope on earth you care for kid. Cause I don't, 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 well I don't, don't, don't. Alibi from Dessa and the band on Sound Opinions. Great stuff. This is from a new album that you have out now, Caster the Twin. It's actually kind of a updated versions of a number of your older songs. Mm-hmm. You've had a deliberate recording career, right, Dessa? It's, uh, <laughs> if, EP, that, yes. EP in 2005, album in 2010. But it seems like you've arrived at something with this band. You kind of retooled the sound a little bit. What was the thinking? Because I remember interviewing mm-hmm. you after... A Badly Broken Code came out, and you already said, I, I, can, I can already see what's wrong with this and how uh-huh. I want to move forward. It, this seems to be the answer to that question. In performing only in front of a DJ, sometimes I was worried that I was missing kind of opportunities to have more dynamic that would play with the, the kind of performance skills that I had, you know? Mm-hmm. Trying to be better, trying to deliver the most musical experience that I can. I think live means performing with a band. And then as I move forward, I feel like I've I've gleaned more knowledge about like what our organic timbres are like. So what's the difference between a viola and a violin exactly? And what's a glockenspiel versus a xylophone? And so it's like a wider palette. So here we go back again. So climb but quick to You know, I'm discouraged, too, by this general tenor of any time something goes outside two turntables and a microphone, it's not hip-hop anymore, and I hate it. And is there singing on that record? I'm, I'm never going to listen to that record. And I'm hearing this, this kind of commentary to this day. Mm-hmm. Does that discourage you in any way? It is discouraging. And even talking to people who seem to know their stuff, who say, Des, I mean, you, you got something going, but you got to pick. So mm-hmm. do a record with singing, and then do a, a record with rapping. And I think that, like, the average musical consumer isn't quite as stupid. (laughs) You know, what is the singing? Fling it out the window. You know, (laughs) like, they're worried about whether it's good. What about as a writer, Dessa? What Mm -hmm. inspires you to sit down and write a new piece of poetry, a new set of lyrics? Very often, aside from whiskey and and late nights, but (laughs) it's a snippet of a conversation 
And maybe that's just because like you're exposed to language that isn't already in your head mm. when you're listening to someone else speak. But I remember this woman got on the, the city bus that I take back at home and she was <laughs> continually trying to be gracious even in the face of big hardships. And so she got on and she was like, oh, the bus is here. Hallelujah. And then she sat down and she was like, my feet hurt. Hallelujah. <laughs> this bag is so heavy. Mm-hmm. Hallelujah. And I was like, this is like magnetic and terrifying. Like how yeah. how far is this litany of, yeah. you know, just miserable hallelujah is going to go? And I remember, yeah. you know, voyeuristically taking out my notebook to go, this lady, I don't know what she is or what she's doing, but it seems like there's art in her mm-hmm. somewhere. So. Mm-hmm. What song did that become? It's not done yet. Ah, <laughs> yeah. okay. Well, yeah. what were you going to play next? The next song that we're going to do is called Dixon's Girl. All right, before we get into yeah. it, because I was thinking about this as we were listening to Alibi, tell us the origins of Dixon's Girl. Sure. What was it about? What inspired you? How did it come? And how did it change when you started working with these musicians? Yeah, so most of the songs, unless there's a really obvious flight into the absurd or the surreal, are true first-person narratives. So for this song, I'd been on tour there was a horrible snowstorm in the south, and I was watching on TV as like the forecast kept getting worse and worse, mm. and I knew that that implied that there was no one coming to where I was, you know, at this musical venue, and they there were like... There should be nobody there. Yes. Yeah. And I remember the anchor person saying, please do not hoard bread. <laughs> and I was like, oh, this is done. Like, I'll take another... Like, you're to from the Minnesota. Bartender. You know, on October 15th, you can get 25 inches of snow. And it was two and a half inches. Oh, so yeah, it's like, right. I don't. It's like, I don't want to be judgmental, but I was like, oh, forget this. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So the bartender, I'm just like, hey, dude, I'll tip you awesome at the end of the night. Can I just cash in all of these drink tickets right now? <laughs> and there was an opener who was also an MC and was also mm. a woman. She mm. was awesome. She killed her set even with 11 people there. And so we just spent the whole time after our performances drinking and kind of comparing life stories. Thank you. 
from the rest of the world, you're in trouble. Bad news moves like fire that you fight on the phone. And I'm too far away, my well wishing can't touch you. But I think of you still more than you might suppose. Everybody wanna see you with your hair down, wanna hear you hit the high note, wanna know if they can get you for a little less. Girl, I don't, I know how the stones can fly. Had some hard goodbyes, call me up day and night, free drinks and bad advice. And it's not much, but my money's on you. It's not much, but my money, my money's on you. It's on you, it's on you. Yeah, my money's on you. It's on you, it's on you. Yeah, my money's on you. Dixon's Girl by Dessa on Sound Opinions. Ironically, for someone who said earlier that, uh, you know, I had nowhere to go in philosophy but to teach, and I didn't want to teach, you are now teaching, right? You, you teach uh, recording and production at McNally in, in Minneapolis? I was offered and graciously accepted. Let's reverse that. I was graciously offered and accepted <laughs> a position there uh, teaching essentially a class on hip-hop poetics called mm. The Language of Rap and Spoken Word, which is mm. really where my expertise is, you know, yeah. is, is the, the wordsmithing stuff. You're obviously mentoring students now. I mean, whether you know it or not, I'm sure they look up to you and wonder, how did you do this? If you could sort of dial back 10 years, mm-hmm. well, what's the one piece of advice you wish you'd heard from a mentor at mm. that point? Yeah, don't, don't, don't worry about how to get famous. Don't even worry about how to get gigs until you're really good at what you do. And I think I was so worried that like, I didn't see the end game. I didn't see the trajectory, and I'm kind of a type A kid. I wanted to know what the metrics of success were. I wanted clear feedback. And really, I think this business is a lot less like hunting where you see what you want and you draw back your bow than it is like trapping where you just set a lot of hair trigger traps and then you go where you hear the snapping, Mm -hmm. you know. That sounds pretty uh, useful. And also a very Minnesota metaphor. Yeah. Is it? Yeah. It's very North Woods. (laughs) Just churn the butter till the butter. (laughs) You're listening to Sound Opinions. I'm Greg Cott with Jim DeRigatis, and we're here in the studio with Dessa and an excellent band, Abby Wolf on vocals, Dustin Kyle on guitar and keyboards, Joey Van Phillips on drums, and Sean McPherson on bass. What kind of a song are you going to play for us next? This one is called Mindshaft, and the great pause there was because I have two songs called that. This is the first of them. The list of things I used to be is longer than the list of things I am. Ex-lover, ex-friend, ex-communicated atheist, and an expatriate living in the heartland, living on the small chance. Like, what say the last dance for an underrated writer, overrated rapper, undecided major on an unrelated matter? What well, dad like to say what all the tug of war was for? More than slack rope, more than sunstroke, the rum soaked to sad jokes at rap shows. Some folks know how slow that trap closes, closes, closes. I've ever been to feeling like I found it. I'm not a writer, I just drink a lot about it. If diamonds are a girl's best friend, you could share a fun laugh. Cause I've been here before, I know Like snow 
falls fast and thin, angel's ash, Virginia slims, and if we've come a long way, then I suspect it's sideways, further from our origin, but closer to our destination, like, I'm bad with names, shoot, I'm bad with places, I'm bad with bulls and little kids and well places, I'm beginning to write, like, Anna Corinna to give me a minute of mic, a little to like, you're with us, fight, a bit of the pride to fight, you're tried, you're right, fried, you're live on all lines, tired, you're fried, you're inside of the lie, it's a brilliant design, it's like, just act. Surprise. I lost some money on the way to dice. I lost an octave to the camel lights. When I lost two, I lost some good love in a hand. A hand to bite. But I've been here before. I know where it goes. It goes down. Oh, I've been here Mineshaft from Dessa on Sound Opinions. Dessa, it's been great having you in the band in the studio. Thanks for coming in. Thanks for having us. You can check out video of Dessa performing live at soundopinions.org and share your own opinions on Sound Opinions. What do you think about the relationship between music and poetry? Talk about that or anything in the rock world at 888-859-1800. We'll be back after a quick break on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and PRX with a review of the new album from recent Saturday Night Live performers, Sleigh Bells. Here comes the beekeeper With her pitcher full of smoke She'll put us all to sleep I hope it's dreamless and it's Sweet Prometheus, come home 
Welcome back to Sound Opinions. I'm Jim DeRogatis. My partner is Greg Cott, and we're listening to a tune called Comeback Kid from an album entitled Reign of Terror by a group from Brooklyn, New York, Sleigh Bells. Greg, this is a two-person group, as you know. Songwriter, producer, guitarist Derek Miller, who first really made his name on the music scene as part of a screamo band, you know, intelligent, new heavy metal called Poison the Well, and his partner, singer Alexis Krauss, who had been in an indie rock band called Ruby Blue. They came together in 2009 or thereabouts, recorded an album called Treats that really blew up in the indie rock underground, much hailed with a unique formula at the time. Krauss has a very wispy, light, gentle, melodic voice, and Miller was crafting these massive, incredibly noisy, super overdriven backing tracks, both with electronic instruments, uh, mainly in the drums, and with a lot of metal guitar, as befits his pedigree. A lot of their fans are really looking forward to this second album, and now here it is. Let's play a track from the record, and then we'll come back with our reviews. This is a song called End of the Line by Sleigh Bells. The new record is Reign of Terror on Sound Opinions. That's a song called End of the Line from Sleigh Bell's second record, Reign of Terror, on Sound Opinions. Kind of an out-of-left-field move, that song. Kind of a ballad for this band, which is unusual. The first record was all about this abrasive, poppy, 
over-the-top kind of guitar meets electronic sampling, and it was a fun record. I thought, well, you know, this group has got one fun, over-the-top pop record in it, and Lord knows if we'll ever hear from them again. Here they are back with this second album, and they've really twisted the formula a little bit. Derek Miller was talking about making a very heavy guitar record this time, and there's three or four tracks on it in which he references 70s and 80s arena rock, kind of in a tongue-in-cheek way, I think. Just look at the song titles. Born to Lose, Never Say Die, Road to Hell, True Shred Guitar. Yeah, and those are kind of fun, but I think there's a darker, creepier art punk vibe here that I did not expect out of these guys. Like that track, End of the Line, reminds me a lot of something that the 4AD label in England would have put out in the 80s, a Cocteau Twins type of sound. And that's cool. I love I love the fact that they're doing this. I think part of it was informed by the fact that Miller had gone through some personal travails in the last couple of years. His father died in a motorcycle accident. His mother wrestled with cancer. He's bringing some of that into this music. So here they are, despite my better instincts, thinking, hey, they've got another record in them that's pretty good. I'm not going to make any great claims for this group. I think they're a good pop band, but the fact that they made now two records that I don't mind listening to is somewhat of an accomplishment. I'm going to give this a burn it rating. I disagreed, Greg, when we reviewed Treats on the show. You were fond of that record. I disliked it, and I, I still am disagreeing with you. I don't see this as much progression. I think that this this story of the wonderful melodies meeting the ferocious noise, look, I love that formula. There's a lot of records uh, coming out in recent months that, that fill that better, much better, I think, than Sleigh Bells. I don't think the melodies are all that melodic. I don't think the noise is all that original. It's really kind of tainted on the wrong side of metal for my taste, and her vocals, Alexis Krauss's kind of cooey, syrupy, sweet vocals, they just drive me crazy. I I don't see the charms of this band at all. I think this is an epic disagreement between the two of us. I didn't get it last time. I don't get it this time. It is still a trash it, in my opinion. Oof. I tell you, little buddy, this whole island is bewitched. One of our favorite things to do here on Sound Opinions is to take a trip to the desert island, pop a quarter in the jukebox, and play you a song we can't live without. Mr. Cott, it's your turn. What have you got? Jim, I want to celebrate 20th anniversary of an album that not many people probably remember anymore, but it came out in 1992. It's called Meantime by the band Helmet and was one of my favorite bands from that era. A lot of people were talking about grunge, the Seattle sound, all these odd bands getting signed to major label deals. Over on the East Coast, Helmet was making a sharper, harder-edged, more metallic version of that West Coast sound. It was very much New York City-informed. Paige Hamilton, the primary songwriter and guitarist in the band, had worked with Glenn Branca in the 80s and also in another band called Band of Susans that I dearly loved. Formed Helmet, they got signed to a great Minnesota label called Amphetamine Reptile. You can't make that kind of name up. I love that label name, and I love the debut record they put out with Amphetamine Reptile in uh, 89-90. They got signed to a big label deal. Now, this was a time when big labels were throwing money at these kind of arty punk bands, and Helmet was one of the bands that benefited from that. The thing is, when they did make Meantime their major label debut, they did not compromise one iota. They found that sweet spot between art punk, 
post-punk and metal through a little melody in there as a lifeline. But what I really love is the interplay between the guitar, bass, and drums. The drummer in this band, John Stanier, people might know him now as the drummer in that great band, Battles. But back then, he was, he was the guy in helmet and really propelled this track right off the rails. This track goes, builds, and builds, and builds until it falls right off the cliff. It's unsung from helmet on Sound Opinions. track, Greg. That was unsung from Helmet's 1992 album. The Sound Opinions Desert Island Jukebox is supported by Maker's Mark, Maker's Mark Bourbon. It is what it isn't. What do we have on the show next week? Next week, Jim, we have the star of Saturday Night Live and Portlandia, musician and comedian Fred Armisen. Sound Opinions is produced by Jason Saldana and Robin Lynn with the able assistance of Annie Minoff. 
Special thanks to Andrew Gill. And our executive producer, our fearless leader, is Tori Southside Malatia, who would like to hear President Obama cover Spinal Tap. On Sound Opinions, everyone's a critic. So now it's time to hear what you have to say. New messages. Hi, this is Stephanie from Naperville, Illinois. I was excited to hear the Van Halen uh, review today, especially Greg's. You know, I'm a 46-year-old woman, and when I listen to Van Halen, I feel like a 17-year-old. It's just fun and goofy. You know, you're a fan or you're not a fan. I guess uh, I guess you're not going to change anybody. But uh, I wish you would have played Blood and Fire and Stay Frosty. Those are the better tracks. Uh, the ones that you picked were uh, kind of so-so. Glad you did it, and uh, keep up the good work, guys. Hey guys, great show. This is Vince from Chicago. I just listened to your review of Van Halen's new record. And Trey Struan's guitarist for the Secret Chiefs 3 made this great comment that Van Halen was never the same when Ted Templeman stopped being their producer and that Eddie Van Halen took over the controls in the studio. And he's right. And he basically said that they went from sounding like a huge band in a little room to sounding like a little band in a huge room. And I think this new record, even though it's all demos from the 70s and Roth is back, definitely lacking that great production of records like Fair Warning. This record is definitely a trash hit. Thanks, guys. Hi, my name is Andrea Bundy, and I was fortunate to be at the Monterey Pops Festival back in 1967. Was it really that long ago? I was there because I lived in the San Francisco Bay Area, and every weekend I would go either to the Avalon Ballroom in San Francisco or we'd go to um, Fillmore Auditorium. So when the Monterey Pops Festival happened, well, shucks, we got out our camping gear and we camped. I mean, the most exciting thing, of course, was to see our Bay Area bands like Janis Joplin and Big Brother or to be there for Otis Redding. Who was he? I didn't know who he was. It was just a blast to be there. So thank you so much. Bye-bye. Hi, my name is Andrew Zeiler, and I live in Jim Village, Colorado. I did have the good fortune to go to the Monterey Pop Festival. One of the main draws for me was the uh, debut of the Electric Flag, featuring the incredible guitarist Mike Bloomfield, who I'd seen playing in the uh, Butterfield Blues Band.
begin wine is their delight. When they get drunk, they start fighting on us. Knocking down windows, breaking down doors, drinking half gallons of shop for more. In the spring of that year, a friend and I first heard If You're Going to San Francisco, Be Sure to Wear Some Flowers in Your Hair by Scott McKenzie. If you're going to San Francisco, laughing hilariously, wondering if the San Francisco Chamber of Commerce had put that song out. Little did we know it was written by John Phillips, who, of course, promoted Monterey and had the mamas and papas dress in phony hippie garb as a promotional ploy. So, as you point out, Monterey was the beginning of the popularization and commercialization of much of that music. Thanks for the opportunity to uh, give you my comments. No more messages. To share your opinions on Sound Opinions, call 888-859-1800. We'll be back next week on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and distributed by PRX.